Welcome to the TPC Podcast. Thanks for listening. The Pentecostal Church is located at 3700 Kelly Highway in Fort Smith, Arkansas. With roots anchored firmly right here in the Arkansas River Valley, it continues to be a beacon of hope in a hopeless world and a hospital for hurting souls. TPC is a place where you can call home and fulfill your calling in the kingdom of God. Join us for this incredible word from the Lord today. Good evening. Thank you. Good to be here with all of you guys tonight. Um, Been talking for a couple of weeks on termites and a lot of different things that um, can come against your home. Things like um, overcommitment and physical exhaustion, trouble with in-laws, conflict resolution, uh, excessive debt, and then things like givers and takers. And um, all of these certainly can weaken your home. They can weaken your home. So I guess the, the real question is how, how much value do we place on our marriage or our home? How much value do you place on that? Because we are always um, quick to recognize someone that's been married 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And, and the reason that that's a big deal is because it's rare. It's rare. No one gets married with the idea of, meh, I don't know if this is going to last or not, but we're going to give it a try. Right? Nobody stands up there and says, oh, no, I'm not saying until death do us part because I don't mean that. No, nobody's starting off that way, right? Everybody intends, and if you ask the newlyweds, they're going to say, no, we're the ones, we're going to make it. We're going to make it to 50 or 60 years. Unless some tragedy strikes, we're going to make it. But I would say that the road is littered with divorced people that did not think it would be them. They did not think they would be the ones that would fall into that statistic. So we've, we've talked about a lot of different termites, and today we're going to talk about tornadoes. I mean, a termite, it can weaken your home to the point that it wouldn't take a tornado to knock it down. <laughs> a good stiff wind, it, there it'd go, if the termites have been at work long enough. And we're going to um, talk a little bit about how that um, storms that come and how that if termites have been at work, it, like, it sets you up easier for problems. And we're going to talk about some really heavy topics tonight. So. Um, it's probably going to get really quiet, and um, I'm not going to be flippant um, because we're going to talk about some really serious things that can absolutely decimate a home. Absolutely just lay it, lay it flat to the ground. And the first one we're going to talk about is infidelity. The Bible calls it adultery. Infidelity. That point where um, one spouse is unfaithful to their partner and is involved in an affair. So I want to give you three things that um, I want you to recognize when your marriage might be vulnerable to an affair. How to recognize where your marriage is vulnerable to an affair. And the first one we're going to talk about is weak emotional connection. So think of this as an emotional bank account. And every day 
every interaction you have, verbal and nonverbal, is an opportunity to make deposits in your spouse's bank account. So here's your catch phrase I want you to remember about this topic. Anything that conveys care and love counts. Anything. If it's a touch on the shoulder, if it's a kind word when you're going down the hallway, if it's a, hey, let me carry that for you. Oh, here, babe, I fixed your favorite supper tonight. Oh, honey, I got the mail. You don't have to worry about it. Or a nice text or a gift or anything that conveys care and love counts. It adds to that emotional bank account. So several, probably 20, 30 years ago, a book came out by Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. Anybody in here read that? Have you at least heard of it? heard of the book? If you haven't read it, you've probably heard about it. Read it again. Get it on your ebook and read it again. A really valuable tool in um, showing love and appreciation. So the premise is this. I speak English. My spouse speaks Russian. Okay? It does not matter if my spouse speaks Russian. If I say I love you 25 million times, they still don't understand what I'm saying because they speak Russian. The idea is understanding what your love language is and what your spouse's and your children's love languages are so that they will receive, they will hear you when you show them love. So there are five love languages, words of affirmation, physical touch, gifts, quality time, and acts of service. If my gifts, if my love language it's words of affirmation, and my husband's is gifts, and he, he's bringing me gifts. He thinks he's telling me he loves me, but I'm not hearing that because I'm thinking, what are you wasting your money on? Why do you keep buying this stuff? Okay? And if my love language is acts of service, and his is words of affirmation, and he keeps telling me this nice stuff, and he's not doing what I want him to do, then I'm thinking, Put your words into action. <laughs> See how that gets turned around? Because you don't understand what each other's love language is. This is really important. And if you haven't read the book or thought about it in a long time, I want you to consider that. Consider how can you convey care and love to your spouse so that your emotional bank account stays full. The goal is for you each to have full emotional accounts so that when difficulties arise, you can draw on that for a little while before it goes dry. If you're working every day with a tiny little margin of, in your emotional bank account, then when something goes wrong, one becomes emotionally unavailable, unresponsive, the other spouse feels helpless, abandoned and alone, they're sad, they feel distress, disappointment, and this can make your marriage vulnerable. The second thing we want to talk about is blurred boundaries. Blurred boundaries. I want you to consider the concept of doors and windows. So couples should have a door open between them and their spouse. Everything is open for discussion. Everything is known. It's wide open. But then you have a window between you and members of the opposite sex that deal with individual circumstances. Okay, this person, this, this other person and I sing in the choir together. This other person and I work together. They're my neighbor. Our kids are on the same ball team. 
there's a window of connection between me and this other person, and that's my connection to them, but my relationship with my spouse is like an open door. So think about it when, if there's some termites that have been working your relationship, and things like conflicts are not being resolved, or there's been ongoing issues with in-laws, or there's been something going on in your life, and that conflict, that unsolved problem, has closed it off, and now you just have a window with your spouse, and you only deal with them for certain things. So we talk about housework. We talk about the kids. We talk about bills. But we don't have that open door of complete open relationship. You see what I'm talking about? When that happens, then a door often opens to someone else. And then when there's only a window between the spouses and an open door with another person, the marriage is vulnerable for an affair. So a precaution for this is to avoid spending time alone with people of the opposite sex. Um, back when we first started, um, I talked about uh, a series Andy Stanley did on margin. And one of those lessons, he talks about margin and talking about relationships with people of the opposite sex. And he said he and his wife had made a commitment. He would never be alone with a person of the opposite sex. If he's going to meet with them in his office, someone else is there, or the door's wide open. He doesn't ride in the car alone with a person of the opposite sex. And you remember our recent vice president, Mike Pence, had this same thing. He was ridiculed quite a bit by the media about that. But he had an had a, um, agreement with his wife, a promise to her that as, a, as a not letting those boundaries be blurred, he would maintain that. So spending a lot of time alone with the person of the opposite sex can be a concern. Whether it's emotional or physical, affairs often happen subtly and gradually. It begins as an innocent conversation, then it moves to sharing problems, having coffee together, thinking about the other person when they're not there, looking forward to being with them again, and it gradually becomes a problem. So one concrete nuts and bolts thing you can put in your toolbox is just make an agreement. I'm not gonna be alone with people of the opposite sex. We're not gonna be in the same car together. If we're gonna have to be in the same office, the door's gonna be open. Most offices today have a window in the door because people have come to realize that's a really good idea, really good thing. So we've talked about a weak emotional connection. We've talked about blurred boundaries. And now we're going to talk about waning friendship. Waning friendship, which seems a little related, right? Marriages with healthy friendships at their core enable each spouse to be supportive and caring, understanding. So do you have like a best friend outside your marriage? Somebody that maybe you grew up with, you've been around a long time? Someone put a song out here while back that says you can't make old friends. It's hard to make an old friend, right? Because it takes time to build that. So if you have someone that is just your friend and you can talk to them about anything, that should be your spouse. You should be able to talk about anything. That friendship, you don't want it to wane. You want to know each other's feelings and disappointments and dreams and it fosters a culture of trust, right? Trust and respect, companionship, all of which can ward off the temptation of an affair. So regularly spending quality time together, and when life gets crazy, 
This takes intention, right? You have to be intentional. You got to put it on your calendar. You got to make a plan. You got to be careful to do that. To have fun together, have a date night, have a date weekend, just get away together. Maintain your friendship. Be sure that you cultivate that friendship. Be sure you don't let your friendship wane. So before we move off this topic, I'm gonna say a couple things. First of all, a do. One thing I want you to do, and that is be public about your marriage and your spouse. So when you're in the workplace, be sure there's a picture somewhere of your spouse. If you can sense at any point that someone's beginning to flirt with you or kind of think about you in that way, bring up your spouse. Did I tell you what my husband did for me last night? Oh, my husband Wes, my husband Brian, my husband Tom, we bring it up into the conversation, insert it right in there in the conversation, and that kind of puts a stop to all that. Don't be flattered. Don't be flattered. That's a seed from the enemy. You should be appalled that someone would think you're kind of kind of person. Don't be flattered. So the second thing is to flee temptation. If you find yourself in a spot and you've allowed that friendship to develop and you feel like that you're being tempted in that area, flee temptation. If you have to quit your job, if you have to move, if you flee temptation, take yourself out of that opportunity and do not let that trap you. Okay, the next thing we're going to talk about that can be a tornado in your marriage is pornography. And um, this is where it's going to really get quiet because I'm going to be pretty plain and I don't mean to be, um, I ran all this by uh, Pastor West because he um, has responsibility for this area, but not, not for pornography, but for teaching. <laughs> that sounded bad. I said I wasn't going to be flippant and I don't mean to be, but I did want to clarify that after I said it. I knew how that could be taken. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Okay, let me back up. I was nervous about talking about all the stuff that's in this topic, and so I did run some of my notes by him to make sure he was okay with me being his blank. And since I'm a grandmother and I'm old, and people maybe won't be offended, but it's going to get quiet. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28 says, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. In our society, this is just a joke. It has become part of the American vocabulary. And I will not, don't take it as an offense, but it is my personal opinion that the sitcom Friends did more to normalize the conversation about pornography than anything in modern culture. Because it became something that was just, eh, something you do. It was talked about a lot, it was laughed about, it was just a big joke, but there was a lot of discussion about it. And when society makes something so normal, it becomes just a joke, just something that everybody does, and eh, well, they kind of, you know, that's what they do for fun. That's when it becomes acceptable behavior. The biggest lie about pornography is that it's a personal problem. Many men believe that viewing pornography is at worst 
a private sin with consequences that only affect them. But pornography is in fact a sin that harms the most intimate of relationships, and that's the relationship of marriage. So I want to give you three things, three topics or things to consider about this. And the first is intimacy is sacrificed. True intimacy belong, refers to being known, fully known, and to fully know someone. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, then I, shall full, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So, um, and I meant to say this at the beginning of this conversation. Uh, Dr. Greg Smalley has a lot of information written about the topic of pornography. And a lot of this information comes from his writings. So I wanted to be careful about that. But he says that if you think about the pronunciation of the word intimacy, it almost sounds like into me see, doesn't it? I see into you, into me see. So intimacy is being fully known and to know someone fully. When one spouse is keeping this hidden secret sin, intimacy is forfeited. To keep the secret to yourself, you have to hide a part of your heart from your spouse. You can't allow yourself to be fully known. You're constantly expending effort and energy to make sure your secret isn't discovered so your spouse doesn't really see you and you lose that honest relationship with your spouse. The second thing to consider is that real relationship is forsaken for an imitation. In the 1950s, Dr. Nicholas Tinbergen discovered that which markings and color patterns on a female butterfly were most irresistible to the male butterfly. So the male butterfly likes these markings and these colors on female butterflies. So he then constructed these big cardboard dummy butterflies and he decorated them with exaggerated colorations and markings that he had identified as being appealing to the male. And what he found was astonishing. The male butterflies ignored the female butterflies and kept trying to obsessively mate with the cardboard decoys. Pornography is no more real than the cardboard butterflies. It's all built on a lie. According to John 8:44, Satan is a liar and the father of lies. That would explain why this enemy wants men and women to forsake the real and intimate relationship found in marriage and pursue the counterfeit that is offered in pornography. Sex is a wonderful gift given to married couples by God as a means of experiencing physical pleasure together and as a way to experience the deepest, most profound intimacy that can be found. Scripture says in Genesis 2, and they shall become one flesh. Unfortunately, pornography twists the true purpose of sex. In the book Pornified, Pamela Paul writes, pornography gives men the false impression that sex and pleasure are entirely divorced from relationship. Entirely divorced from relationship. So the third thing I want you to notice is this, pornography Pornography is inherently self-centered. Because pornography is self-centered and self-serving, it doesn't require 
that the husbands be lovers of their wives. In the counterfeit world of porn, sex simply involves an image or a video. It's all about personal pleasure. It's a fantasy land where you don't have to, you can pursue this perfectly airbrushed woman who never has a headache and she doesn't require any ongoing relationship. This is the phrase I want you to capture from this topic. Pornography rewires the brain to focus on you and not on intimacy. It rewires the brain to focus on only you. God honoring and marriage honoring sex is about self-giving love. It's about self-sacrifice. It joins two people together in love and should always strengthen a relationship and not weaken it. The opposite of God's design for sex between a husband and wife can be seen in the use of pornography where satisfaction is always at the expense of your spouse because it's all about you. God created sex to be about love, sacrifice, mutual respect, dignity and care between husband and wife. A pastor, Jonathan Holmes, explains it this way. It is easier to type in a web address than it is to pursue intimacy with my wife. It's easier to view pornography for a few fleeting moments than to build a deep and abiding relationship with my wife. It's easier to selfishly fulfill my desires with no expectation of self-giving and self-sacrificing love for my spouse. So sex takes work in a marriage and negotiating this relationship is challenging. It's hard work. But if we don't want cardboard relationships, if we truly want intimacy and oneness with our spouse, this means we have to be unwilling to keep secrets. And this is a sin that has taken our world by storm with the easy access of the internet. But it is a tornado. It is a tornado that will destroy, destroy your home. Okay, the third thing I wanna talk about, just a little bit about is gambling. So the results of compulsive gambling are well reported. And the addictive nature of gambling is something that you can find a ton of research on. Someone becomes addicted to gambling, becomes an obsessive gambler, a compulsive gambler, and they can absolutely destroy a home with that, with that behavior. And, and when I say gambling, you know, what's gambling to you? Is gambling, you know, when I was, when I was some of my most fond memories are fishing on the lake. So I grew up in a fishing family. My dad's, the Markhams are all fishers. And um, talk to me sometime, we'll talk fishing stories. I can talk fishing stories, I love to fish. But um, we grew up and we, we, we night fished. And so on vacation, we'd all go down there and everybody had a boat and at night we'd tie the boats up all in a big, huge circle connected to tree stumps and stuff. And you know, we'd holler back and forth across the boats and catch tons of fish. And we always had a deal, we'd put a dollar in the pot every night, and then whoever caught the biggest fish won the pot. Is that gambling? Uh, you know, I, when I talk about gambling, I don't want to just get right in here where you're living. You know, is participating in a bass tournament gambling? Because you put money in and then the winner takes all, right? Is walking around a cakewalk, is that gambling? P people can put gambling, I know, you can put it, you know, 
you can put it way down here or you can put it way over here. So I, I've talked to Wes about this as well because this is one of those topics. The Bible says thou shalt not gamble. It's not there. So um, what do y'all think about that? Have I just opened up a can of worms for you? So um, what I want to when I talk about, though, are some principles that are in Scripture that I think apply to um, legalized gambling. Think about it with casinos, maybe with sports gambling, those types of things. Just think about these principles when you consider the idea of gambling. Number one, gambling exploits and preys upon the desperation of the poor. Incomes less than 2,000, excuse me, incomes less than $10,000 a year spend the most on lottery tickets. Someone has to lose, and statistics tell us it's usually the poor that can least afford it. So in Proverbs 22:16 it says, He that oppresseth the poor to increase his riches, and he that giveth to the rich shall come to want. Amos chapter 5, verse 11 says, Your treading is upon the poor, and ye take from him burdens of wheat, and ye have built houses hewn of stone. The second thing I want to consider about with gambling is that it undermines work ethic. So it undermines the work ethic, which has been part of God's design for mankind from the very beginning. In the garden, God said, you will till the garden and you'll keep it. Time and again throughout the Bible, it talks about working, supplying your own needs, and those of your family by engaging in productive labor. If a man would not work, he shall not eat. If a man provide not for his own, he's worse than an infidel. In Proverbs 22:25, it says, The desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse the work. Third thing, there's this problem about greed. Because gambling, of course, is all about getting rich quick, right? Obtaining resources without providing anything of value in return. Get, 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 get. So Proverbs 15, 27 says, He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house. And the last thing I want to mention is gambling operations are steeped in deceit. They conceal or they misstate the odds. A lot of machines are programmed for very near misses. How many times do you get three cherries in a row, but you need four? Oh, almost got it. And then there's this idea of a riverboat casino that's not really a boat. <laughs> okay. I feel like I was a little lighthearted in that way, and I don't intend to make light of a serious issue that can be destructive. But the last one we're going to talk about is serious for sure, and this is addictions. So we're going to, this is going to lump together street drugs or recreational drugs, prescription drugs, and alcohol. All substance abuse. Um, when you're talking about addictions, and we're going to talk about the stages of abuse, um, these can also include addictions to pornography and addictions to gambling. Because most addictions follow these same five, five steps. The first one is experiment experimentation. Alcohol or drug use starts with experimentation or voluntary use. At this stage, its use is really infrequent. In the case of teenagers, it's usually because of peer pressure and in the presence of other, other friends, want them to do it, so they do it. Older people tend to 
start down this path because of a situation. Maybe it's in response to problems in their lives, like they're, they lost their job or they had a divorce. And, and um, unless you've been under a rock, you've heard the opioid pandemic that's been in our country. And many people, opioids are incredibly, incredibly, incredibly addictive. And many people fall into that pit when they have surgery and they get on drugs or they have a debilitating illness that causes pain or sustained pain over a long period of time. And, and they take the prescriptions as prescribed, but it causes an addiction in their life, which is really um, has a lot of side effects. The second step is regular use. So this stage is characterized by use on a regular basis, not necessarily um, at the same time, but, but in a predictable pattern, like it's every weekend. It can be either with other people or by yourself, but on a certain pattern of time or in predictable circumstances. Anytime I get lonely or I get bored or I get stressed, then I fall into this as a way to self-soothe. I use this substance. The third stage <clears throat> is problem or risky use. During this stage, the user begins to suffer legal, emotional, physical, social problems, like they're driving under the influence maybe, they have problems at work or in their relationships, so their use has come to a problem that it's become risky, and it's a problem. It's a problem in their life, but they continue on. And then you reach the stage of dependence. Someone who is dependent on a drug or alcohol will continue to use these substances regularly despite the harm that it is causing, including physical reactions to the substances. Characteristics of dependence are this. Number one, chronic use leads to failure to fulfill major responsibilities related to work, family, or school. You lose your job, your relationships are broken. If you're involved in school, your grades suffer because you're dependent upon this and you, it takes precedence over everything. The second one is repeatedly drinking or using drugs in situations which may be hazardous to the user or others. So things like drunk driving or having children that you're responsible for and you continue to use in that situation when not only the children observe that, but they're at risk because you can't take proper care of them in that situation. The third one is developed of, development of increased tolerance. <coughs> Meaning more and more and more of the drug or the alcohol is needed to have the same effect. In the case of pornography, more and more and more graphic information is needed in order to receive the same result. And the last thing I want to talk about with dependence is that withdrawal symptoms happen if a person cuts back on use. So you think dependence is the last step, but it's not. That's dependence, and then you have addiction. Addiction, when it has crossed over to become a medical condition. And it's compulsive. You cannot stop. It is out of control. It has become a medical condition. It's psychological and it's physical. And you will do anything to have that. From repeated use of alcohol and drugs that has changed the physiological makeup of your body and you have to have it. And you will do anything. You crave it. You'll steal. You'll cheat. You'll lie in order to get that because you have crossed from dependence into addiction.
All these destructive behaviors masquerade at the beginning as innocent, small, private indiscretions. It's just an innocent flirtation, just a small indulgence, not really a big deal. So wherever you find yourself now or 30 years from now on this spectrum, maybe just barely at the precipice, or if you're talking to someone that you know is well down the spectrum into these behaviors, these destructive behaviors, I want you to consider a couple of scriptures. This is James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. John 10.10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's why he's here. He's here to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. And you've heard this said before, but there is so much truth in this. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. Luke chapter 12, verse 2. There is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken, I wrote this down wrong, in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. If you don't hear anything else I say tonight, I want you to remember this. Your enemy is not content with private sin. He's here to destroy you. And as long as you think it's my own little problem, he has you right where he wants you. Because he is not content with private sin. He has stolen your peace already. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, I feel the heaviness of this. And I've called these tornadoes, it can be a little misleading because at first the things that are destroyed are not seen by the naked eye. Hearts are broken, relationships are destroyed, peace is forfeited. And to the casual observer, nothing looks that different until somebody files for divorce, or somebody's arrested, then all of a sudden, it's all laid clean. So we live in tornado country, right? We understand about gathering storm clouds and threatening skies and when conditions are right. So what do you do? What are you gonna to do today? How valuable is your home? If you've never been touched by any of this, you're going to build a safe room. You are going to strengthen your marriage. A few years ago, Heather and Trenton moved to Moore, Oklahoma. They said they bought a house. They were moving to Oklahoma City, and they said they bought a house in Moore. I said, you didn't? Surely not. Not Moore. Don't you remember those videos of Moore had that mile-wide tornado? It was all over. 
But Trenton said, oh no, we're not living in more without a tornado shelter. So you go out in their garage and open up the hatch and down you go into the, so because he's, you know, so tornado country, we're going to have a storm shelter. We're going to strengthen our marriage. But what about if you're in the storm? What about if you're in the storm? Remember our song? Lie number one, you're supposed to have it all together. And when they ask how you're doing, you just smile and tell them never better. Lie number two, everybody's life is perfect except yours. So keep your messes and your wounds and your secrets safe with you behind closed doors. I would suggest that you need outside help. This is not like the dog digging up the roses or the kids leaving the hose on in the yard and flooding the yard. So we believe in divine healing, right? Do you believe in divine healing? But we don't hesitate to seek help for minor or major health issues. If I was having severe chest pain and I was sweating and I couldn't catch my breath and I felt like there was an elephant sitting on my chest, I would not be ashamed for you to call an ambulance or for me to go to the emergency room. And I believe in divine deliverance. But if you remain trapped in destructive behavior, telling yourself, I just need to pray more, if I just fast, I think I get out of this. I believe God can deliver you. But can I suggest, don't let shame keep you from seeking help. I say, I'm fine, yeah, I'm fine, oh, I'm fine, hey, I'm fine, but I'm not. I'm broken. And when it's out of control, I say it's under control, but it's not. And you know it. There's no failure, no fall. There's no sin you don't already know. So let the truth be told. Maybe there's a process God wants to take you through that will bring you additional benefits like closer to the family of God or understanding forgiveness and grace. So if a literal tornado hit your house and you were standing or sitting in the rubble of the broken walls and bricks, would you just sit there in that rubble and pray God would rebuild your house? And I don't want to discount prayer. I really don't. But I would pray that God would help me and I'd pray for wisdom and I'd pray for strength and I'd thank God for protection. But then I would get up and put on my work gloves and I'd get to work cleaning up my house. Something has to change. If you're working to break the cycle, if you don't change something, if you don't change your internet access, if you don't change your favorite hangouts, if you don't change your friends, something needs to happen. I do believe one of the keys to deliverance is accountability. I really do. So reach out. Talk to somebody. Pastor preached, I've been wrestling with this for a while, and Pastor preached on Sunday this amazing message about looking to the Lord and keeping our eyes on him and seeking him. And he gave that scripture at the end of his sermon about Psalm 121, one, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. 
My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. And I want to leave you with this. Ephesians 6 starts with verse 12. And I could read the whole end of the the chapter. It's such good, applicable material for what we've talked about today. Verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You're not fighting against people. Your enemy, you have an enemy. You have an enemy and your home has an enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. But the scripture and the Lord never leave us with just the problem. He always gives us the answer. Always gives us the solution. And boy, we need it in the word. We need to be in the word. Verse 13, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And we live in the evil day. And having done all to stand... And those next verses talk about truth and the breastplate of righteousness and preparation of the gospel of peace and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. There's a whole Bible study to be found there in that whole idea of that. But um, I just want you to consider that. I don't ever want to discount prayer, but I feel like it has been a tactic of the enemy at times to keep this sin private and shame has kept many of us from having um, deliverance and to get help when we need help thank you for taking the time to join us today I hope this word has blessed you if you are in the River Valley area and are looking for a church to attend We would love for you to join us right here at TPC. Services are Sunday at 11 a.m. and Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. You can visit us at our website at www.tpcfortsmith.com and on Facebook at the Pentecostal Church Fort Smith. Here you will find any information you may need. Thank you and God bless.